0: If you're suddenly uh, on the same side as Nigel Farage, I think just hold your nose <laughs> yeah, and just you have to take yourself, it. don't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Am I really in the right place right now? Is what you are, should... are, are
1: we the baddies?
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's the line. Hello and welcome to the Lib Dem podcast. We are very happy to have two wonderful guests to talk about something that's very significant that's coming up because it is soon to be the 40th anniversary of the Limehouse Declaration. And so what, who better? And a book is coming out and you can pre-order right now, I've been told I have to say that, called The Future of Social Democracy. And with us we have the Vice Chair of the, the Social Democrats, which is Michael Mullaney. Hi, Michael. Hi, John. You right. I'm very well, thank you. And back again, after nearly a year out of the podcast, we have Wendy Chamberlain, the MP for North East Fife. How are you doing, Wendy? Hi, Jordan. Very well, thanks. So, Wendy actually co-edited uh, this, um, this book as well. But, I tell you, Wendy, why don't we start with you? Why don't you describe the book, what it sets out to do, and why you've got involved in it, really? Well, um, I was approached to get
1: involved with it because I had described myself as a Social Democrat and I think I was, say, one of the the only MPs in the current cohort who'd said that specifically, that that's sort of, for all that I'm proud to be a Liberal as well, um, I think it's really important that we recognise the heritage that the party has. Um, And, you know, the Limehouse Declaration is clearly a very significant uh, part in social democrat history in the UK. So really important that we mark it. And I think, and Vince Cable sets this out very well in the sort of introductory chapter, in some ways, social democracy is seen in some respects in, in a bit of retreat. Though obviously yesterday with the inauguration of Joe Biden, you would like to think that uh, potentially um, different things are, are going to happen. So really important, I think, to um, restate, uh, you know, social de- democracy, what it stands for, what it's about, the radical aspects of it. And actually when ra- a radical social democratic policies have been taken forward, the really positive impact that they've had p- in people's lives, not just in the UK, but uh,
0: but, but elsewhere in the world. And Michael, the, the book's made up of essentially nine chapters or essays. Is that dealing with big issues that the country needs to face?
2: Yeah, absolutely. We've got a whole range of of uh, contributors from across the party, uh, past and present senior figures within the party. Vince Cable, as Wendy has mentioned, has done a chapter. We've also got Stephen Williams, the former local government minister, talking about how we have an education system that can that can help people get on and in 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 life. Uh, we've got uh, Ian Kearns from the Social Liberal Forum talking about how you know work is changing because of automation and how we ensure that people have a basic income to live on and and so there's a whole range of really good chapters there um, there's Lord Newby on, in from the leader of the Lords talking about how we balance economic growth with protecting the environment so some really big issues for social democrats uh, I looked at in the book and and it's a really good read lots of ideas challenging book and I, I encourage all members to have a read of it.
0: And, and Wendy, you, you're the author of one of the chapters. Uh, um, so, I mean, we can t- talk about, we can give uh, obviously the listeners a bit of a hint of what you go on about there, because you actually talk about um, voting and, and, and kind of and reform of, of the political state in that way.
1: Yes, absolutely. And it's very interesting because I
0: think increasingly um, and
1: what I see in the chapter is potentially electoral reforms time may have come. Um, And obviously, when we talk about electoral reform, the first thing we think about is the first past the post system used for Westminster and obviously the 2019 election results. Uh, Had 43% of the vote for the Conservatives, delivering an 80 seat majority. And I feel for the first time, and maybe driven clearly by the Brexit debate, that um, the noises of discontent in relation to First Past the Post have gone on beyond the few weeks after the election when it doesn't seem fair. I'm obviously a Scottish MP. The situation in Scotland was even more stark. The SNP um, polled 45% of the vote to win 80% of the seats. And I think the second point that, that uh, I would make in relation to electoral reform is the first past the post is, is one of a number of systems currently existing in the UK, all of the rest of which are proportional in some form, whether that be uh, in Holyrood, in the Senate, and increasingly in local elections. England is the bit that is being left behind in terms of being truly representative. So I'm very keen that, and again, I suppose this is about social democracy, not just being for the Liberal Democrats, that there are opportunities to work with other parties, most notably Labour, to deliver the kind of change required.
0: And I do I, I do wonder about it, because it's interesting, because as Wendy said, as we're recording this, uh, Joe Biden's inauguration was yesterday. And so there's a kind of always a, a, a tie-off between how radical you want to be to be noticed, but if you're too radical, you scare off the voters that are going to actually potentially vote for you. And Biden was a classic example. Biden basically displeased very few people in terms – he was, he was a, a very sen- – like down the centre, didn't really do much outrageous kind of outlandish thing, you know, there was the Bernie Sanders wing or something like that. Yeah. So how do, how do you get across then – how do you deal with that problem of – not being radical enough to scare people away, but being radical enough to get attention.
1: Well, and I suppose, you know, my question back would be, what are Joe Biden's policies? You know... Not being Trump. (laughs) Well, yeah, absolutely. Do we really know... But what was very striking for me listening uh, to, to to yesterday was really about that call for unity and a call for working together. And I suppose, from an electoral reform perspective, I think that, in some respects, is is, is the cult- cultural change when we look back to the the, the coalition, which I think, um, as as time passes, is looked back on more and more fondly. The reality is, is more proportional systems um, deliver um, governments that are required to work to work work together because they they are colours and I think there's a public culture shift required for that but again if you're seeing that happening at local authority at a devolved administration level then it, there's there's more likely to have a degree of acceptance and I think you know I think all sides of the numerous constitutional debates that we've been involved in after the, the last few years are tired are really really tired of the divisiveness and you know It does feel like Biden's election in the States is potentially a rest of some of that division. And I I very much hope so. So hopefully we can all look to that as well. And the reality is, in terms of the constitutional debates, is they don't actually go away. We've left the EU, but our position in relation to how we deal with our European neighbours will never go away because, well, that's geography. Mm Michael?
2: Michael? Yes, I agree. It's obviously about balance between trying to be distinctive, but also trying to appeal to as many people as possible. And I think that, you know, at the moment, we're beginning to get to a time actually where I think social democratic ideas may be becoming more um, in tune with the, the sort of feeling of the country at the moment, because obviously we went through a long time in this country. Uh, where sort of more free market ideas were perhaps more um, more, more um, in the ascendancy through all the Thatcher and Conservative years. Even when Tony Blair came in, he, he for the first few years, was very cautious, stuck to Conservative spending plans, Alistair Darling famously said before the 2010 general election, he cut deeper than Thatcher, which is often forgotten if Labour got back in. And then we had austerity and reductions in public spending. But I think mood is changing now towards a more social democratic idea. And I think the pandemic particularly, because everybody sees that now their job could be at risk, you know, that for years people will have thought, well, I'm secure, I'm okay," But actually, this event has come out of nowhere and almost everybody could be affected then I think there's a lot of support for things like all the coronavirus support packages to to, to keep people's incomes going, the furlough scheme, there's also, um, you know, a, a drive to say that, you know, should government support industry to protect jobs during this difficult time? Also, the arguments for the NHS, you know, the more investment it has been shown that it's been struggling to cope during the whole um, pandemic. And then also things like re-education, lifelong training to get people back into work because of the uncertainty of work. So I think in a way we're almost seeing a new era now where maybe social democratic ideas, which for years have been on the back burner and generally have been sort of marginalised. I think maybe we're reaching an era now where actually there are ideas that people are more receptive to, that because of the pandemic, because of things like in Ian Kern's chapter, he looks at the future of automation and the risk to employment there, that actually things like universal basic income, more government support, more more support for training for the NHS, these are becoming more uh, mainstream ideas and actually maybe we're in a sort of era where social democratic ideas are are to the fore and hopefully that book can help with with
0: with this and it isn't just a book solely for lib dems either they're they're not all just lib dem contributors are they
2: no no we've got uh, roger liddle who's a a labour peer who's written a chapter as well um in the book so we are sort of trying to appeal to to a whole range of people and i think wendy's chapter on pr which is a really 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 good chapter which sets out the need for, for voting reform um that's not just an issue for us it's also an issue for the labor party i mean the there's if you, you're on twitter you'll regularly see news of more labor local parties voting in favor pr more support amongst labor members and mps and it's really important for the labor party actually pr now because the last election, they actually got a higher vote than they got in 2010 and 2015, but a lot fewer seats. Because their vote is so concentrated now in a few places in the big cities, in the North, in London, they're actually polling quite well in terms of votes, but not winning seats. So really there's a strong case for the Labour Party as well as ourselves and other parties to, to back PR. And if we get that kind of change, then we can bring about change to a sort of more social democratic uh, future.
1: I have to make the point as well that the, the Brexit Party, as was the Reform Party, they've actually co signed the Make Votes Matter good uh, voting systems because their biggest impact at the general election was when they prevented people from having the opportunity to vote for them.
0: That's right. And uh, I, I, it, you've got to be strange bedfellows, that one, if you're suddenly uh, on the same side as Nigel Farage. I think you just hold your nose <laughs> yeah, and just. You have to take yourself, it. don't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Am I really in the right place right now? Is what you should... are, are,
1: are we the baddies? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that's right. That's the line. Hello, John from the Lib Dem podcast here. We are delighted to say that this episode is sponsored by Prater Rains. Now more than ever, you need a professional-looking online presence and website. Praetorains have been helping Liberal Democrat campaigns succeed for 18 years. Their LibDem Dem Foci package combines a website, social media and email system to help Lib Dems win. You'll receive great support from real people, fair pricing and a huge range of features to choose from. Praetorains are already the bespoke developers for Lighthouse, Lib Dem Draw Online and the LD Directory. They combine a talented system design with an unrivaled understanding of our party, our data and our systems. To find out more, check out the Praetorains website at praetorains.co.uk slash liberal democrats. This podcast has been sponsored by the Katura Coffee Club, the UK's most environmentally friendly coffee club. There are over 400 independent roasters in the UK, each one crafting coffee in their own unique style. Katora Coffee Club works with some of the best to take you on a voyage of coffee discovery. The Katora Coffee Club delivers ethically sourced and independently roast coffee directly to your door. Each month, you'll receive between two and four bags of coffee and their monthly extract magazine. Even better for Libden podcast listeners, use the code BETTERCOFFEE to... To save 5% on subscriptions and gift boxes for a limited time only. All Katura Coffee Club boxes are carbon negative and offset the CO2. So why not do some good, enjoy some great coffee and check out the website www.keturahcoffeeclub.com. Now, back to the podcast. Between the three of us, we've got areas that are kind of crucial going forward. We've got Scotland, the North and the Midlands. Okay. And whatever happens next, they, these, they're going to be the critical areas. Obviously, everyone talks about the Red Wall and how the Tories were able to get through that. Well, is the point that a, a lot of people felt disillusioned? They didn't know where to go. they had completely... Obviously, they were terrified of Corbyn. We'll, leave, we'll put him to one side because he was just a disaster. But actually, is there a point that social democratic principles are what are going to get the Red Wall back to kind of not just being into Boris Johnson?
1: Uh, yeah I, I think it's interesting I'm just thinking on, on what Michael was saying there in relation to the, the support that there's been for a number of the coronavirus measures and I suppose part of that is because you know who would have thought a, a Conservative government would have delivered the package of support that it has and and you know admittedly continues to do so though clearly the Chancellor is beginning to to, to grapple um w- with that and um, you know certainly current polling suggests that a number of the red wall seats would, would already fall and, and and it's easy to forget actually the real narrowness. Now, obviously, my seat when I won in 2019, I overcame a majority of two to do so. But uh, and none are as quite as close as that. But uh, some of them um, are, are are very are very close. So it just takes it takes a very um, small swing. And um, I, I think um you know it's very difficult to predict in relation to 2024 um, just now because I think um the public and policymakers and politicians generally are very much being short term in their approach and, and and arguably rightly so because of the pandemic that we're, we're dealing with. It's one of the reasons why our departure from the EU you know, I remember looking at sort of the BBC videos top five on the day of the Brexit vote, and um, you know, on the 30th of December, and it didn't even feature. And that's because coronavirus has obviously really kind of you know overtaken all, which means how we kind of come out of the recovery, eh, the recovery, and, and how we approach that becomes becomes more more critical.
0: Is that also a risk, Michael? The fact that people are, are so engrossed in coronavirus that bad things might happen if we don't keep our eye on it, that actually, and one of the things that comes out is, good never happens unless people fight for it. And I think that's it. And so we're not, the coronavirus isn't going to change the way Britain works unless we fight for it, unless we fight for those changes, unless we actually strive for the great things you've talked about in terms of the way, you know, people have appreciated the safety net the state can, can be there for companies and individuals. But people will quickly ignore that unless we say, look, we've got to learn from this absolutely and I, I think as a, a party
2: you know we, we, we've we been the party that stood up for the excluded the three million that have been excluded from a lot of the support packages we're the ones in there more than Labour really that are fighting for, for people who are stuck in that situation we're the ones that are constantly arguing you know for the extensions of the furlough scheme because of how long this whole pandemic's gone on people do need that the support extended we've also got the coronavirus green recovery plan you know 150 billion pounds of investment to protect the environment and to ensure that you know jobs and employment is protected you know the two key things going forward the climate and giving people you know financial security so as a party we are really putting forward some of these you know quite radical social democratic ideas and i think it's a way that we can start recovering support as a party in the whole country because Um, If you look at our support in recent elections, it has become very concentrated in in particularly in the southeast, the south of England and London, Um, and we only have one seat in the whole of the Midlands, North and Wales now, Tim Farron in Westmoreland. So if we're going to start breaking out into less affluent communities and broadening our appeal, then we need to have something to sell. And I think campaigning for people like the excluded uh, and these other causes are ways in which we can broaden our appeal to, to many people across the country.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, Michael. I was on an event. I think it was a Liberal Democrat History Group event, and John Curtis was on it, and he did sort of say, you know, there's a reason why it's the MP for St Andrews University who's who's chairing tonight, and you know, we absolutely can't get away from that. Um, mm. you know, there is a very typical type of Liberal Democrat tar- target seat and 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 quite d- identifiable type of Liberal Democrat voter. I think arguably we've become a party that is more identified by social class than than any of the others. Oh, sorry, that's my phone. I'm going to that's, mute
0: for a sec. Okay, that's no problem. You're absolutely right. And how we get over this, uh, and how we change this, the Lib Dems can't just stay in suburban, affluent, little <clears throat> university cities. We have to do, but and it's important because again, we look across elections, and you're you're in the Midlands. You've been a highly successful local councillor, and it's that kind of local effort that's going to push us over the line and get into new areas as well. And actually, having a clear sense of purpose with a with social democracy at its heart, I imagine you would say would be, is key to it.
2: Absolutely, we, you know, we need to be speaking up for the issues that really matter to people um, and identifying areas where, you know, the issues that affect a lot of people where perhaps other parties haven't picked up on them. I mean, The Carers is a big campaign that Ed's campaigning on. millions of people affected a group that's often not mentioned you know every part of the country there will be thousands of people who are caring who feel undervalued who are not being given the support they need and that's the kind of policy that we we can put forward to to, to broaden our appeal and you know as a party um, we we do need to, to go back to representing all parts of the country if you look at 2005 2010 we had lots of seats in the midlands in the north in wales in every part of the country um, and I think we can go back to, to to doing that if we're seen to be speaking up for you know millions of people who aren't being spoken up for. And I think increasingly sort of social democratic ideas, are, I think, are the way that we can start broadening our appeal in those communities.
0: And before uh, we have to, this is only a quick kind of episode because Wendy has to dash as a, as a very... Prominent MP. She, has, she she will get the call from Westminster very soon. In fact, that oh no, it's not the chief yes. because you're the whip now, Wendy. No one yes. can boss you around. I, I, I am the
1: I am the whip. But as you've heard, I'm I'm currently in Scotland, though I'm heading to to, to London next week to to take to take my turn. Given that uh, remote voting uh, has not returned, but uh, yes, as well as whip, I'm you know it was always joked that I was the the MP with, with 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 a number of portfolios. So I've got DEFRA questions at half past nine, and obviously and um, fishing fishing sector has been the first to really uh, feel the pain from from brexit and, and i have a prominent fishing community so i think you can can pretty much guarantee what my question might be about if i get on
0: and, and i suppose it would be remiss of me not to ask wendy how is things at westminster at the moment how how is life with the within the 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 the, the our party and, and our group are, are you all coping well
1: yeah i think it's it, it, it it's it's just a very strange and and difficult time I mean it's 13 months since I was elected and uh, the vast majority of that has been spent during the pandemic so I think for any group of people to come together um, and properly develop the relationships you need um, to have a really strong team has been tough but uh, I think um, you know Ed is, is you know if we think to the Brexit vote on the 30th of December, I think we were very clear in terms of what we were doing, um, why we were voting against um, the awful deal that's been presented. We clearly know that it's going to be the slow puncture that potentially isn't going to be in the public conscience now because of coronavirus. But clearly, we are, are you know, the, the the poorer for it. Um, and in terms of actual being at Westminster, well, the reality is, is none of us are because you know the recommendation is is that you know we we stay away. And and I. I think, you know, think about what Manira Wilson's been doing as our health and social social care spokesperson. You know, we've been really clear about the need to adhere to the guidance and ensuring test, trace and isolate as strong as it can be, all those kind of things. So actually, for a crowd of us to be appearing in Westminster, even though, strictly speaking, we could, would actually undermine that message. So Sarah Olney has been casting our proxies and I'll be heading to London to um, do similar and, uh, and see how the usual channels are next week.
0: And I don't want you to break any confidences from the the chief whip support group you must be in at the moment. But (laughs) it's really, because you've you've talked about Brexit and how Lib Dems voted. And obviously there was, and one of the big things was how Labour voted as well. Yes. And actually them voting for it. And already, every time a debate comes up, and we saw it yesterday as well, uh, the Tory said, well, if you're so against the musicians not having their visas, why did you vote for the deal? Uh, At at which point Labour could just go, oh, yeah, go on.
1: And, and they must have calculated that risk. And of course, they'll say to us in the SNP, well, you voted, v- voted for no deal. And m- my argument to that is that was not what the bill on the 30th of December was about. The bill on the 30th of December was the enabling legislation to allow the government to enact Uh, the the agreement they had reached. It didn't actually prevent the agreement from passing, though obviously it would have left the government in in, in breach. Um, And and I suppose, and obviously I've had this debate with members, um, you know, actually we were all very passionate about what was the most pro-European thing to do in relation to this vote. Um, And actually you could make an argument for all three positions and clearly Labour took the position that they did. Um, My own view was abstention credible in some respects but by the same token the the issue that has defined us as a party over the last five years at the last gas was that appropriate so I think it was and obviously Labour's position in some respects maybe maybe helped that argument to say that no we were not supporting this deal in any way shape or form Um, and that's that that's clearly what we
0: what we did. Well, well, for for all it matters, I think you absolutely made the right choice. I think we, because I think if you abstain, no one remembers what you do. You please nobody. So, I and I get the arguments, like you said, but from my point of view, I think you absolutely got okay. it right. But well, we've already said in twenty
1: twenty four, it's a lot a long time away. Will people remember how we voted in twenty twenty four? No, I, I would argue no. But what we will have done is those seats where we're in second place, the majority of which are Tory facing we have given the opportunity for our candidates to make sure that the Tory MPs that they're up against are absolutely owning the the decline in the economy and other factors that we will be seeing at that point.
0: Well, like, And like I said, Wendy does have to go off and do her parliamentary duty, so I'd like to thank you very much for that, uh, Wendy. And I suppose, Michael, to you is just to say, where where can people get the book? Uh, and uh, and I take it it's online, In where can they find it? So
2: here's a copy of the book, The Future of Social Democracy. It's available from the Bristol University Press, so you can order it online. Um, whole load of essays um, from loads of leading figures, Vince Cable, Wendy, Sarah Olney, Baroness Smith, Lord Newby, loads of subjects to do with the economy, foreign policy, um, education covered, every single you know, sort of major issue looked at from a social democratic perspective. I'd encourage all members and anyone interested really in the party and social democracy generally to to, to buy it. Um, 1981, January 25th, was a big day for the party. Obviously, the SDP eventually merged with the Liberals to form the Liberal Democrats. It's part of the sort of history of the party. Um, and so to market, we've got this 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 book, and hopefully lots of people will read it, find it interesting, and find it you know relevant for, for the future.
0: And if you and if you really want to hear more, I take it, join the Social Democrat group as well. Yeah. Yes, please
2: join and you can follow us on, on Twitter at, at Sock Dem Group. Um, yeah, so please get involved. We're always looking for people to get involved with the group to, to write articles and things
0: for us. So, yeah, please, please join up if you agree with the social democratic pr- principles. What? Well, brilliant. Thank you so much for both coming on. I really enjoyed it. And I know it was short and sweet, but it, and the books is fantastic. Like I say, from what I've read of it so far, it's been it, it really challenging and getting us out of our comfort zone as well to think about, okay, what's next for our party? What's next for our country? So thank you both very much for being on. Do follow these guys on their social media. I'll link them down in the show notes for you. You can follow everything to do with the Lib Dem podcast at, at Lib Dem Pod. I'm John Potter. Thank you very much for watching and listening. Uh, we'll have another episode very soon.